Desert Spring, this is us. In this series of sermons, we've been exploring some of the defining characteristics of the Christian faith and life together. We began with one of the truest marks of the Christian faith, that sense of hope and how important it is to community life. Last week, we talked about another defining characteristic of Christian faith in life, and that is trust. God chooses to trust us with carrying forth the work of Christ in this world. And God is trustworthy. We can trust that God will equip us for the work that God sets before us. And we trust one another. Here at Desert Spring, the very foundation of this church, we are built on trust. Today we're going to take a look at one of the third defining characteristics of the Christian faith, one that really is born out of our hope and born out of our trust, that being joy. Joy. Now, oftentimes when we're talking, we'll talk about happiness and we'll talk about joy. We might use those words interchangeably, but happiness and joy are two different things. Happiness is based on what's going on around us. Joy is something that comes from within us. Happiness is a response to the experiences that we're having, where joy is born out of a sense of contentment with life, and a peace that comes from the Lord. Joy is temporary. I mean, I'm sorry, happiness is temporary. Joy, it can be permanent because it is an attitude by which we live our lives. Now, to kind of help differentiate the two, let me give a couple of examples. So if I hear the words, Cubs win, Cubs win. It makes me happy, right? Especially this time of year. And when I hear that they've lost, I'm not usually happy, especially this time of year. We can say that a beautiful day makes us happy. But if it's a windy and rainy day when we had plans for something outside, the weather might make us unhappy. Spending time with people we enjoy makes us happy. And being apart from the people we love can make us unhappy. Happiness is this feeling we have that is in response to what it is that we're experiencing around us. It's temporary. It's also subjective in that what makes me happy might not make you happy at all. So, for example, a gluten-free, dairy-free dessert that's sweetened just with a little bit of pure Vermont maple syrup, that's going to make me happy. But I might be the only person here today who could say that, right? And five years ago, I would not have said that because what makes us happy can change over time. It's subjective. 
It comes and it goes. Joy is different from that. Joy is a condition of our heart. It's an attitude by which we live our life. And it's born out of a sense of contentment with life and a peace that passes all understanding, that peace that comes from the Lord. Example. So I'm thinking of Marilyn Stegey now. We gathered together to celebrate her life yesterday at her memorial service. And over the last months, with the way that her health had failed, she had lots of reasons to be unhappy. And nobody would blame her for being unhappy with the things that she had to endure. But those of us who knew Marilyn, we knew that there was a sense of contentment within her, a peace that was in her, regardless of the circumstances she was going through. This sense of joy, it still came forth. I'm not happy that I had to have eye surgery. I'm happy it went well, but I'm not happy I had to have it. But, but eye surgery has nothing to do with my sense of joy. And if the Cubs lose, it might make me unhappy. But they can lose every game from now on, and it'll have no impact on my sense of joy. Now, the Bible talks about happiness and joy, especially joy. Happiness is spoken of about 30 times in the Bible. But joy is spoken about around 500 times. And if you add the word blessed to, the, to this, the word blessed, which can be translated sacred joy, that number doubles. Joy is a major theme that runs throughout all of the Bible. We hear in Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about the joy of the Christian life. He says, blessed are, which can be translated, oh, the sacred joy of the poor in spirit. Oh, the sacred joy of the merciful. Oh, the sacred joy of the pure in heart. Eight times he uses the word joy in describing the Christian life. In the book of Acts, we hear story after story of new converts to the faith and how they rejoice. They're overcome with joy. And in the book of Galatians, Paul tells us that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In other words, joy comes about because of the working of the Spirit in our lives. When we become a Christian, the Spirit works within us and gives us a measure of joy. And at that moment, we might think that's all there is. But the Christian life is so much more than that first moment of believing. We grow in our faith. And as we do, the fruit of the Spirit grows too. And when it comes to joy, it continues to grow until it's reached its fullness. It's been perfected. And that sense of joy is permanent no matter what the circumstance. There is nothing that can ever shake it. The joy of our salvation. Let's turn our attention now to reading of Scripture. Uh, 
Our first scripture this morning is from 1 Peter 1, verses 8 and 9. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The second reading is from Acts 16, verses 25 through 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up, and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. And our third scripture is from Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sharon. Paul and Silas were in Caesarea Philippi to start a church there. One of their first converts was a woman named Lydia, who insisted that Paul and Silas make her home their home base for their ministry. And so they did. And each morning, they would leave Lydia's home and walk down to the river, where they would preach to whoever would listen. Well, one, well in Caesarea Philippi, there, there lived a slave girl who was possessed by demons. We don't know her name. The scriptures don't tell us. All the scriptures tell us is that this slave girl was possessed by demons and this demon possession meant that she could foretell the future. You know, will you find love? Will you be found out? Will you strike it rich? Will your child be healed? Just dial 1-800-F-O-R-T-U-N-E and I'll tell you your fortune. And business was great. It was great. She was making lots of money for her owners. 
Well, one day, as Paul and Silas were making their way down to the river, this slave girl showed up and started following along behind, shouting out, These men are servants of the Most High God. They have come to tell you how to be saved. Which was true. The next day, as they're making their way down to the river, she showed up again and started yelling again. And the day after, and this bothered Paul. Which might be surprising given the free advertising from a woman who people listened to in town. But we can understand why it bothered Paul. I mean, he certainly didn't want the gospel of Jesus Christ to be associated with the occult. He certainly did not want someone who was possessed by demons to be telling folks what his life and his ministry was all about. And so after this had happened for a number of days, Paul kind of had enough and he turned toward her and he healed her. He chased away the demons and in so doing, chased away her ability to foretell the future, chasing away her ability to make money for her owners. And when her masters found out what had happened, they became so angry that they grabbed Paul and Silas and after a mock trial, they had them beaten. And then they threw them in a dungeon and had them chained to a wall. Bloodied and chained to a wall. Paul and Silas must have not been happy with how their day was going. I mean, we can imagine how unhappy they must have been with how their day was going. But there was nothing that could shake their joy. And so what happened next? Well, what happened next is what Christians do in the face of adversity. Let me say that again. What happened next is what Christians do in the face of adversity. They started worshiping. They started singing praise to God. Oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. They sang praise to God, and as they sang their praise to God, it was as if all of creation joined in. The walls of the dungeon began to shake. Their chains fell off of them, not just them, but all of the prisoners. When the jailer felt the ground shaking, he rushed into the dungeon, and seeing their chains laying on the ground, he was certain that the prisoners had escaped, something that he would be executed for. And so he drew his sword to kill himself. Paul and Silas stepped out of the shadows and said, Stop, we are here. And then they shared with him the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the jailer believed. He became a Christian. He and his old whole household. That very night they asked to be baptized. And they were baptized. And we hear that the whole family rejoiced. They were overcome with joy for what God had done for them. First Peter talks about this very thing. When he says that we have already received the goal of our faith. We've already received the gift of salvation. So joy is something that we can experience right here and right now. The scriptures tell us that joy is a fruit of the spirit. 
It comes about by the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Something that God wants for every one of our lives. And I know there's a lot of people here who, who have a sense of joy about them. But as Christians, joy is something that we grow into until it's finally perfected within us. And remember how we grow in the fruit of the Spirit? Ours is a covenant faith. God promises to us things, and we make promises to God, and as we act upon our promises, as we act upon our faith, we give God something to work with. The Spirit works with that and grows us up in our faith, grows us in the fruit of the Spirit. I want to suggest to you one thing to think about when it comes to to joy in our life and two simple practices that give the Spirit something to work with to help us to grow in our sense of joy. The first thing I want you to think about is how it is that we understand suffering. Now, anybody here ever suffered I suspect that most all of our hands could go up, right? And if you haven't suffered, don't worry, you will. Okay? It's a part of our mortality. It's a part of, of life and our experience. And we all know that we suffer. And suffer, suffering is something that we try to avoid and with good reason. But we also know that God is a God who can redeem every part of our lives. That God can make something of every part of our lives, which means that God can even make something of our suffering. I remember meeting with a man who had lost everything. He was kind of like a modern-day Job, except unlike Job, he'd brought some of it on himself. But like Job, he had lost his family, he had lost his health, he had lost his work. Distraught, he showed up at church, not knowing where else to go. And we started talking. I started sharing with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he came to believe. He became a Christian. And then we watched as little by little the Spirit of God was working on him, changing his character. We could see him becoming a different person, a good person. I remember sitting with him once as he was reflecting back upon his faith journey. And he said to me something that I'll never forget. He told me that it was at his point of greatest suffering that he came to experience a joy he did not know was possible. That's what God's able to do. God's able to even take the worst of circumstances of our life and to make something of them. So we rethink our understanding of suffering. Not that I want to suffer, and you don't either. But it's going to come. And when it does, we can offer that up to God and see what God can make of it. It might just increase our joy. Two simple practices. The first one, serve another person. I remember a woman coming to me once who told me that her faith was dying. She felt so distant from God. After talking with her a number of times, I came to understand that it had been 
maybe a year or so since her mother had died, and she was carrying this incredible guilt over having not been present with her mother and having not helped to care for her mother when she was dying. And once we understood that, the path was simple. I assigned her to go to, the, to a nearby nursing home and to regularly visit two women who were nearing the end of their life. Not only did she visit them, but she started to care for them in the ways that she wished she could have cared for her mother. And a month later, when I saw her, she shared with me that her faith was alive, that she felt God present. And I could see in her a joy that was not there a month earlier. We serve one another, and it gives the Spirit something to work with and increases our joy. It's a biblical principle. We are blessed to be a blessing to others. And maybe you've experienced this in your own life. How it is that you're helping somebody else, and then you begin to wonder who's getting more out of it? The person that I'm helping or me? Because in the midst of us serving others, God is at work within us, growing our faith and increasing our joy. Serve one another. The second simple practice has to do with trusting in God. We talked about trust last week, how God will equip us for what it is that God asks us to do. But of course, our trust in God is far greater than, than that. We trust in God, that God will see us through whatever life will bring. And so here's the practice. Each morning, when you get up, as a part of your daily prayers, just add to it a simple little prayer. God, whatever the day brings, I choose to trust you. That's simple. Oh, God, whatever this day brings, I choose to trust you. As the day is unfolding, maybe there'll come an opportunity to pray that prayer again. Oh, God, with all that is unfolding, I choose to trust you. In those days where life is unfolding in ways that makes us happy, well, we celebrate, and we celebrate with one another, and we share our stories, but we know that that's not the only kind of days that we're going to have. There are going to be days, too, where we are confronted with challenges and struggles And in those days, especially in those days, remember, we've chosen to trust in God. Weeping may tarry through the night, the psalmist tells us, but joy will come with the morning. In the midst of our grief, God will deliver us. In the midst of our pain, God will deliver us. In the midst of the struggles that we face, God will deliver us. In the midst of the hardships that come our way, God will deliver us. In the face of illness and the other kinds of challenges that we will have, God will deliver us. Weeping may tarry through the night, but joy will come in the morning. Choose to trust in God. And as we trust in God, well, for me, it just makes me want to sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Joyful, joyful, 
we adore thee. Because, you see, I know, I know that there is nothing that can happen in life that can take away my joy. Because there's nothing that can happen life, happen in life that can take away my salvation. There's nothing that can happen in life that can take away God's victory in our lives. And when we claim that, when we know that, that there's nothing that can change the victory of God, well, our heart has a sense of contentment, a sense of peace grows up within us, and we can face whatever the challenge may be, whatever the circumstance may come. We can face it with joy, with joy. Desert Spring, we are a people of joy. Thanks be to God. Amen.